Well, good morning, everyone. Grace and peace. It is uh, good to see y'all today. Hope y'all had a good holiday weekend. And here we are uh, continuing our journey through uh, the book of Mark. Um, hopefully we're going to make some tracks today. Um, it's going to be some good stuff. So we're going to land uh, for our time of prayer this morning in uh, Psalm 97. As uh, we prepare our hearts to open God's word together, one of the things that I like to remind us of from time to time, when we read scripture together, when we study it together, it's not for mere gaining of information. But we believe that as we open God's word and we listen to God speaking to us, that the purpose of our time together is for God to change our hearts. And may that be that way today. Let's pray. The Lord reigns. Let the earth be glad. Let the distant shores rejoice. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and consumes his foes on every side. His lightning lights up the world, the earth sees and trembles, the mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim the righteousness and all people see his glory. All who worship images are put to shame. Those who boast in idols worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and rejoices and the villages of Judah are glad because of your judgments, Lord. For you, Lord, are the most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. Let those who love the Lord hate evil. For he guards the lives of his faithful ones and delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light shines on the righteous and joy on the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, you who are righteous. And praise his holy name. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, Amen indeed. All right, we're going to pick up today in Mark chapter 13, and uh, Pastor Kurt says he got to about verse 24. Does that sound about right? Somewhere in there? Okay, very good. Well, remember, we're kind of in a, Jesus is uh, in Jerusalem with his disciples. This is about Tuesday, Wednesday of Holy Week, and we are pressing quickly uh, towards uh, towards Jesus' uh, last day before he uh, dies on the cross. And there was a question, uh, well, there was a comment that was made by the disciples that kind of launched Jesus into this, uh, this teaching section here in chapter 13. Uh, remember what it is? Remember what the comment was? Look, teacher, at this building, the temple, and how beautiful and amazing it is. And uh, Jesus responds, uh, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Now, that's back at the beginning of chapter 13. Now, just to kind of catch us up or to remind us to say something like that about the temple would have been very, very uh, 
disheartening, disconcerting, you might say. And we kind of compared it to the temple for us as Americans, and it's it's really hard because you know we're a secular nation. Really, our buildings aren't supposed to have any spiritual significance. Even though, have you been to the Capitol building and looked up into the rotunda? Who's up there? Y'all remember? Come on. So it is George Washington. And he looks as if he is enthroned as a god. It's called the worship of Washington. And everybody says, dun, dun, dun. Go check it out. You should, you should go read on it. It's very interesting. And so really that's kind of the, that, that's kind of the connection. When people would start saying, if people were to start saying, uh, that this Capitol building is going to come down, somebody's going to get arrested. Right? That, that's what's going to happen. So Jesus says this. It, it is their, it is their symbol of their national identity, their spiritual identity. That is where people went three times a year for a pilgrimage. Every, I mean, the, the center of Jewish life is the temple. And Jesus is saying, it's rubbish. Wow. This is a big deal. And that there is this day that is going to come. And then Pastor Kirk covered that last week, uh, where it's going to be really, really bad. He is basically foretelling what is going to happen with the destruction of the temple, which happens in 70 AD. After a three and a half or so year siege, uh, Jerusalem falls to the Romans. And this was a bitter, it's, it's really hard to describe how bitter of a war this was for, for those three and a half years. Not only were the Jews trying to repel the Romans, but the, the Jews inside Jerusalem, they were literally at each other's throats. They probably would have continued to repel them much longer, but the, uh, but the inward fighting, uh, the inward turmoil amongst them it was really, really bad. And so that's kind of where we are. Does that feel about right to everybody? Okay. And uh, so Jesus is talking about that. And it, it, remember, there's a couple of, couple of things that Jesus says leading up to this. As this is coming, stand firm. Hang your ground. But when it happens, what are you supposed to do? Run. Now, there's a practical reason for that. If the disciples stay in Jerusalem while this happens, what's going to happen to the church? It's, going to, it's like there's, it's going to be not much left, right? And so it's like you got you got to get out. So, trying to build this up in our minds and try to make an application to us, like in your life individually and us collectively as people what are some hugely distressing things that have happened in our lifetimes yeah 9-11 it feels very much like that even talking about the capital and how the how one of the, the plane that crashed in pennsylvania was headed that way feels very much like that it was a very very disconcerting time for us how many people actually remember? Tom, do you remember the 1930s very well? <laughs> not, not you, Tom. Because <laughs> what year were you born? 39. 39. So you're right at the end. Okay. So my grandparents talked about the Great Depression. Y'all's parents, grandparents talk about the Depression? 
And oh my gosh, it was, it affected them for the rest of their lives. My granddad was the absolute tightest person I'd ever been around in my life. But there was a reason for it. Because during the Depression, he had nothing. And they suffered, right? His family was in the grocery business in Dallas. And uh, man, it was a very, very difficult, difficult time. What else? I remember going to, uh, with my granddad, he was test driving a new pickup. One year old pickup. Price on it was $1,100. Yeah. Asked him if he's going to buy it. Well, I don't think so. He said, it'd take all my savings to buy that truck. Yeah. He, he said, no, I'm not buy it. Yeah, isn't that something? Yeah. Isn't that something? Wow. Wow. Of course, you don't have to have to share this amongst us all, but just think about moments in your life of personal distress. In about two or three things, it's it's pretty easy to come to the come to my mind, and it's in moments of distress where the metal of your faith is tested. Right? It's not when things are easy. Things are going well, but it's when things get hard. What are you going to do? How are you going to respond? And that's that's a lot of why Jesus is saying, "Look, all of this that you think is so good and polished and beautiful, um, it's not going to serve you well." What do you do when things when the when literally the sun is darkened? This is all. Uh, apocalyptic language, right? It's, it's language that is used in excess to get your attention. When the temple goes, that's what it's going to seem like. Cause their whole identity is just cut out from underneath them, right? Their whole, the, the way that they ordered their lives around the temple is going to be gone. So the sun will be dark and the moon will not give light and the stars will fall from from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And so we had these moments in our life and how are we going to respond? How are we going to react? All right. Just kind of keep that in mind as we go and maybe Jesus will teach us something. Remember, that's what the purpose of this is. Jesus is trying to teach his disciples how to live their lives in the midst of distressful moments when he is away from them. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Now remember... This section is primarily a teaching about what is going to happen when the temple uh, is destroyed. But he also kind of double, doubles it up and says, look, we can also apply this to what it's going to be like whenever I return. So this is definitely a, uh, a precursor of the return of Jesus after hit, uh, uh, at the end. Verse 27, and he will send his angels and gather his, what do you have there? Chosen Chosen? and elect. Anything else? 
This is straight, this is actually really strange language for Mark. We haven't heard anything like this before, so we just need to kind of take a pause. Um, what does it mean? Who are the elect and, or who are the chosen? His disciples and who else? Say that again? The Jewish. The Jewish people. Ooh. It, could, it, is that? Could it be? Are all, all the Jewish people the elect of Jesus? Say that again? Everybody, for Jesus' elect, it would be Gentile and Jew. That's right. Very good point. Yeah. It wouldn't necessarily include, I mean, there have been Jewish people all throughout this section since Jesus has come into Jerusalem that have been hammering him. Would they be included in his elect? Probably not. Uh, that's at least in my opinion. Um, so the elect then, or the chosen, are those who have chosen to follow Jesus. The elect are those who remain faithful in the midst of tribulation, in the midst of distress. Anybody want to argue with that or offer a counter-argument? There would be some that say we have nothing, us individually as people have nothing to do with us being elect or not. I do not believe that that is what the biblical teaching of election is. Later in Paul's letters, he'll talk about uh, predestined and being elect. And pretty, to me, it's pretty clear what our, what being predestined means. You ready for it? We all have the same destiny. Every one of us have the same destiny. And that's what we are predestined to. You know what that destiny is? We are all to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Like in the God, like at the beginning, Genesis 1 and 2, we are made how? In God's image. And we have this, this calling on our lives to be, uh, like co-rulers with God. To express His character out into the world. If we're made in His image, we are reflectors of the divine nature, His character, right? And that's our destiny. Now, are we going to embrace it or not? Right here would be a good Star Wars, Star Wars quote, right? Remember that, remember when Darth Vader is all up into Luke's grill, trying to get him to follow him and say, you've got to follow me. It is your what? Destiny, right? Well, is it really? To follow in the ways of darkness? No. It's our destiny to be conformed to the image of Christ. And that's the elect, the chosen that he's talking about here. So, in, those, in that wording, does that or would that to the people of the time excluded the Jews to say, follow Jesus? Because the Jews, the rabbis, mm-hmm. etc., were not willing to follow Jesus. Yeah. 
That's right. Making a decision, forcing them to make a decision. Either you abandon the Jewish ways, so to speak, accept Christ's ways, mm-hmm. knowing that they include the destiny of the Jews. Right. Or that they, in essence, become exiles from that chosen elect. Yeah, that's that becomes the big, big discussion. And the big debate, even in the church in the early period, it's like nowhere in the gospel or the gospels or in the New Testament is any Jewish person who's following Jesus asked to renounce their Jewishness ever, right? And so that, that's not it. It's like, it's like this new family is being formed, not just of Jew, but of Jew and Gentile create a lot of problems, like a lot of conflict. And a big question was, well, to be a, to become the chosen or the chosen people, right? The chosen people became expanded. Remember the Basora that Pastor Kurt always regularly talks about? This, this everyone coming and following in the ways of God. Everyone coming, streaming to the holy mountain. Well, for Jewish people, that was reserved just for Jews. Not for everyone. So this is like, boom, mind-boggling that it would be for everyone who would come and embrace their destiny. Are we tracking? Anybody want to ask a question? Feel good? One of the big, I think, one of the big turmoils between like Paul and Peter was the issue of circumcision. That's right. I mean, that was a big conflict because the Gentiles say we don't, I mean, we don't know the law. That's right. We haven't been following the law, therefore, why, why are we need to be circumcised? Yeah, huge, huge issue. And we, like for us in here, pff, circumcision. Yeah. Who cares? Right? Obviously, my mom cared because I got circumcised. I don't know, right? But it's like, it's just not a big deal. It's so hard for us to, like, in our minds, understand. That was everything. Yeah. That, that was that was right there with the temple. Right, for sure. All right. All right, verse 28. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. Oh, boy. Here the fig tree comes back up again. Uh, but here it's used in a little bit of a different way uh, than it was uh, at the beginning of uh, the section. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves, remember the other was focused on the fruit. This is focused on the leaves. And its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation, again, what is Jesus talking about? Is he talking about his second coming, or is he talking about the destruction of the temple? Well, that generation passed away without them seeing the return of Christ, right? So he's focusing in on this this situation with the temple being destroyed. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. All right. Remember, after, if you look back at the beginning of 13, 
just just read. So he says this, uh, verse 2, the disciples say, do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus. He says, not one stone will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. They're freaked out. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, so they're looking at it. Peter, James, and John, and Andrew ask him privately, tell us when these things, tell us when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? And so Jesus, from all the way through verse 13, is answering that question. Verse 32. About that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So, how many people have you heard, using a passage like this, to go ahead and predict the future anyway. Anybody? Anybody? Yeah, this happens all the time. And guess what? Every person gets it wrong. And I think that's the point of the teaching. So what are the things that have caused you distress? This is distressful stuff that Jesus is talking about. Where is your focus going to be in the midst of the distress? When is this going to end, God? That's what we want. We just want it to be over. We want to feel safe and secure and that all is going to be well. When's it going to be over, right? If I just know when it's going to be, then I can be prepared. Something like that, right? Jesus says that's not necessarily the most important thing. The most important thing is to be in the moment now. Not looking to the future, but in the moment now. Verse 33, be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It is like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and he tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether it is evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, what do you got there? <coughs> Anything else? Steam. Midnight at PM. Midnight. At midnight, that's right. Yeah, could could come at midnight, that's right. And so the kind of the way you know you kind of read all of chapter thirteen in its fullness, and I wish we could could do it in one fell swoop. Right, uh, but we, Pastor Kurt and I, have a hard time getting through everything. Right, and so it's it's like, well, what does it mean to watch? If they ask this question, when are these things going to happen? Well, obviously, this is something that Jesus doesn't actually have the capacity to tell them, which I find very odd. That kind of like I thought uh, the Father and the Son were one. These kinds of things in John's gospel. It's like something that Jesus doesn't know. Wow, that's that's interesting. And maybe it's because it's like there's human agency involved in this stuff. And we and we don't give an 
you know, we kind of fall into two categories. God, God is completely sovereign. He's all powerful. He's all knowing and all that. Well, good morning, everyone. Grace and peace. It is uh, good to see y'all today. Hope y'all had a good holiday weekend. And here we are uh, continuing our journey through uh, the book of Mark. Um, hopefully we're going to make some tracks today. Um, it's going to be some good stuff. So we're going to land uh, for a time of prayer this morning in uh, Psalm 97. As uh, we prepare our hearts to open God's word together, one of the things that I like to remind us of from time to time, when we read scripture together, when we study it together, it's not for mere gaining of information. But we believe that as we open God's word and we listen to God speaking to us, that the purpose of our time together is for God to change our hearts. And may that be that way today. Let's pray. The Lord reigns. Let the earth be glad. Let the distant shores rejoice. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and consumes his foes on every side. His lightning lights up the world, the earth sees and trembles, the mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim the righteousness and all people see his glory. All who worship images are put to shame. Those who boast in idols worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and rejoices and the villages of Judah are glad because of your judgments, Lord. For you, Lord, are the most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. Let those who love the Lord hate evil. For he guards the lives of his faithful ones and delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light shines on the righteous and joy on the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, you who are righteous. And praise his holy name. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, Amen indeed. Right, we're going to pick up today in Mark chapter 13, and uh, Pastor Kurt says he got to about verse 24, does that sound about right? Somewhere in there? Okay, very good. Well, remember, we're kind of in a, Jesus is uh, in Jerusalem with his disciples, this is about Tuesday, Wednesday of Holy Week, and we are pressing quickly uh, towards uh, towards Jesus' uh, last day before he uh, dies on the cross. And there was a question, uh, well, there was a comment that was made by the disciples that kind of launched Jesus into this uh, this teaching section here in chapter thirteen. Uh, remember what it is. Remember what the comment was. Look, teacher, at this building, the temple, and how beautiful and amazing it is. And uh, Jesus responds, uh, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Now, that's back at the beginning of chapter 13. Now, just to kind of catch us up or to remind us, 
to say something like that about the temple would have been very, very uh, disheartening, disconcerting, you might say. And we kind of compared it to the temple for us as Americans, and it's it's really hard because you know we're a secular nation. Really, our buildings aren't supposed to have any spiritual significance. Even though, have you been to the Capitol building and looked up into the rotunda? Who's up there? Y'all remember? Come on. So it is George Washington. And he looks as if he is enthroned as a god. It's called the worship of Washington. And everybody says, dun, dun, dun. Go check it out. You should, you should go read on it. It's very interesting. And so really that's kind of the, that, that's kind of the connection. When people would start saying, if people were to start saying, uh, that this Capitol building is going to come down, somebody's going to get arrested. Right? That, that's what's going to happen. So Jesus says this. It, it is their, it is their symbol of their national identity, their spiritual identity. That is where people went three times a year for a pilgrimage. Every, I mean, the, the center of Jewish life is the temple. And Jesus is saying, it's rubbish. Wow. This is a big deal. And that there is this day that is going to come. And then Pastor Kirk covered that last week, uh, where it's going to be really, really bad. He is basically foretelling what is going to happen with the destruction of the temple, which happens in 70 AD. After a three and a half or so year siege, uh, Jerusalem falls to the Romans. And this was a bitter, it's, it's really hard to describe how bitter of a war this was for, for those three and a half years. Not only were the Jews trying to repel the Romans, but the, the Jews inside Jerusalem, they were literally at each other's throats. They probably would have continued to repel them much longer, but the, uh, but the inward fighting, uh, the inward turmoil amongst them it was really, really bad. And so that's kind of where we are. Does that feel about right to everybody? Okay. And uh, so Jesus is talking about that. And it, it, remember, there's a couple of, couple of things that Jesus says leading up to this. As this is coming, stand firm. Hang your ground. But when it happens, what are you supposed to do? Run. Now, there's a practical reason for that. If the disciples stay in Jerusalem while this happens, what's going to happen to the church? It's, going to, it's like there's, it's going to be not much left, right? And so it's like you got you got to get out. So, trying to build this up in our minds and try to make an application to us, like in your life individually and us collectively as people what are some hugely distressing things that have happened in our lifetimes yeah 9-11 it feels very much like that even talking about the capital and how the how one of the, the plane that crashed in pennsylvania was headed that way feels very much like that it was a very very disconcerting time for us how many people actually remember? Tom, do you remember the 1930s very well? No. <laughs> not, not you, Tom. Because <laughs> what year were you born? 39. 
39. So you're right at the end. Okay. So my grandparents talked about the Great Depression. Y'all's parents, grandparents talk about the Depression. And oh my gosh, it was, it affected them for the rest of their lives. My granddad was the absolute tightest person I'd ever been around in my life. But there was a reason for it. Because during the Depression, he had nothing. And they suffered, right? His family was in the grocery business in Dallas. And, uh, man, it was a very, very difficult, difficult time. What else? I remember going to, uh, with my granddad, he was test driving a new pickup. One-year-old pickup. Price on it was $1,100. Yeah. And I asked him if he was going to buy it. Well, no thanks, so he said it'd take all my savings to buy that truck. Yeah. He said, no, I'm not going to buy it. Yeah, isn't that something? Yeah. That's something. Wow. Wow. Of course, you don't have to have to share this amongst us all, but just think about moments in your life of personal distress. And about two or three things, it's it's pretty easy to come to the come to my mind. And it's in moments of distress where the metal of your faith is tested. Right? It's not when things are easy. Things are going well, but it's when things get hard. What are you going to do? How are you going to respond? And that's that's a lot of why Jesus is saying, look, all of this that you think is so good and polished and beautiful, um, it's not going to serve you well. What do you do when thing when the when literally the sun is darkened? This is all. Uh, apocalyptic language, right? It's, it's language that is used in excess to get your attention. When the temple goes, that's what it's gonna seem like. Cause their whole identity is just cut out from underneath them, right? Their whole, the, the way that they ordered their lives around the temple is gonna be gone. So the sun will be dark and the moon will not give light and the stars will fall from from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And so we had these moments in our life and how are we going to respond? How are we going to react? All right. Just kind of keep that in mind as we go and maybe Jesus will teach us something. Remember, that's what the purpose of this is. He, Jesus is trying to teach his disciples how to live their lives in the midst of distressful moments when he is away from them. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Now remember, this section is primarily a teaching about what is going to happen when the temple uh, is destroyed. But he also kind of double, doubles it up and says, look, we can also apply this to what it's going to be like whenever I return. So this is definitely a, uh, a precursor of the return of Jesus after hit, uh, uh, at the end. Verse 27, and he will send his angels and gather his, what do you have there? 
Chosen and elect. Anything else? This is straight. This is actually really strange language for Mark. We haven't heard anything like this before, so we just need to kind of take a pause. Um, what does it mean? Who are the elect, and or who are the chosen? His disciples and who else? Say that again. The Jewish. Jewish people. Ooh, could is that? Could it be? Are all all the Jewish people the elect of Jesus? Say that again. Everybody for Jesus' elect, it would be Gentile and Jew. That's right. Very good point. Yeah. It wouldn't necessarily include. I mean. There have been Jewish people all throughout this section since Jesus has come into Jerusalem that have been hammering him. Would they be included in his elect? Probably not. Uh, that's at least in my opinion. Um, so the elect then, or the chosen, are those who have chosen to follow Jesus. The elect are those who remain faithful in the midst of tribulation, in the midst of distress. Anybody want to argue with that or offer a counter-argument? There would be some that say we have nothing, us individually as people have nothing to do with us being elect or not. I do not believe that that is what the biblical teaching of election is. Later in Paul's letters, he'll talk about uh, predestined and being elect. And pretty to me, it's pretty clear what our what being predestined means. You ready for it? We all have the same destiny. Every one of us have the same destiny. And that's what we are predestined to. You know what that destiny is? We are all to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Like in the gar- like at the beginning, Genesis 1 and 2, we are made how? In God's image. And we have this this calling on our lives to be uh like co-rulers with God. To express his character out into the world. If we're made in his image, we are reflectors of the divine nature, his character, right? And that's our destiny. Now, are we going to embrace it or not? Right here would be a good Star Wars, Star Wars quote, right? Remember that, remember when Darth Vader is all up into Luke's grill, trying to get him to follow him and say, you've got to follow me. It is your what? Destiny, right? Well, is it really? To follow in the ways of darkness? No. It's our destiny to be conformed to the image of Christ. And that's the elect. The chosen that he's talking about here. So, in those in that wording, does that or would that to the people at the time excluded the Jews to say follow Jesus because the Jews, the rabbis, mm-hmm. etc., 
were not willing to follow. Yeah, that's right. They making a decision, forcing them to make a decision. Either you abandon the Jewish ways, so to speak, accept Christ's ways, mm-hmm. knowing that they include the destiny of the Jews, right? Or that they, in essence, become exiles from that chosen elect. Yeah, that's that becomes the big, big discussion. And the big debate, even in the church in the early period, it's like nowhere in the gospel or the gospels or in the New Testament is any Jewish person who's following Jesus asked to renounce their Jewishness ever, right? And so that, that's not it. It's like, it's like this new family is being formed, not just of Jew, but of Jew and Gentile create a lot of problems, like a lot of conflict. And a big question was, well, to be a, to become the chosen or the chosen people, right? The chosen people became expanded. Remember the Basora that Pastor Kurt always regularly talks about? This, this everyone coming and following in the ways of God. Everyone coming, streaming to the holy mountain. Well, for Jewish people, that was reserved just for Jews. Not for everyone. So this was like, boom, mind-boggling that it would be for everyone who would come and embrace their destiny. Are, are we tracking? Anybody want to ask a question? Feel good? Well, one of the big, I think, one of the big turmoils between like Paul and Peter was the issue of circumcision. That's right. I mean, that was a big conflict because the Gentiles say we don't, I mean, we don't know the law. That's right. We haven't been following the law, therefore, why, why are we need to be circumcised? Yeah, huge, huge issue. And we, like for us in here, pff, circumcision. Yeah. Who cares? Yeah. Right? Obviously, my mom cared because I got circumcised. I don't know, right? But, it's like, it's just not a big deal. It's so hard for us to, like, in our minds, understand. That was everything. Yeah. That, that was, that was right there with the temple. Like the mark. Right. For sure. All right. All right. Verse 28. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. Oh boy. Here the fig tree comes back up again. Uh, but, here it's used in a little bit of a different way uh, than it was uh, at the beginning of uh, the section. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves, remember the other was focused on the fruit. This is focused on the leaves. And, the, and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation, again, what is Jesus talking about? Is he talking about his second coming, or is he talking about the destruction of the temple? Well, that generation passed away without them seeing the return of Christ, right? So he's focusing in on this uh, this situation.